We're going to continue our series that we began on Easter Sunday, actually, called The Reason for God. And uh, this is, <laughs> I'm starting to realize that on Mother's Day, I always pick the most interesting sermons um, to deal with. But this series is uh, far from easy. It, it is difficult sledding uh, because some of the issues that we are covering are difficult issues. Uh, and they really come out of doubts and fears, um, doubts in, in, in the fact that there are many people who see some things in Christianity and shake their heads in disbelief or can't believe in the gospel because of some of the doubts that we are wrestling through. And so what we've done, uh, based on Tim Keller's book, and by the way, if you're interested in purchasing his book, we have several copies of it on the back table for $8. Um, and we're kind of following some of his ideas in that book called The Reason for God. Uh, but one of the things that this book does, one of the things that we're trying to do in this sermon series is, is to look at common objections that people have to Christianity in our day and age. And so uh, one of them, obviously, is the resurrection. And so we looked at that on Easter Sunday. Uh, last Sunday, um, we looked at something. What was it? The reliability of the scriptures and whether we can trust the Bible, whether it is truly God's word or not. And so I tried to make a case for the fact that it is historically reliable and that it is indeed uh, something that we can depend upon and rely upon as God's word. Uh, today, we're going to dive into another topic that is equally difficult. And in our day and age, this one is especially troublesome for many people, many modern people. And that is this. Christianity claims to be the only true religion. Christianity claims to be the only true religion that reveals God. Now, it's interesting because Christianity, by the way, is not the only religion that claims this. Okay. Islam claims this. Uh, some parts of Hinduism claims this. Uh, there are many religions that claim to have the truth and the only truth in this world. And so this is troubling for many people because, uh, one of the things that is interesting is that religion has become something that's very divisive in our world. Would you agree? In fact, if you saw any of the news the last week since last Sunday night when Osama bin Laden was killed in Abbottabad, Pakistan, uh, you would agree that religion is often invoked as something that brings great uh, Great pain and suffering, great strife in this world. And there's many people who would say that if we get rid of religion, well, it could all get along. And part of the problem is that there are Christians who say, no, the only way to God is Jesus. And then there's, there's Muslims who say, no, the only way to God is to follow the path of Allah. And then there's others who say that, no, my way is right or your way is right. And, and so sometimes modern people say they're all the same. They're all getting you to God. So why can't we just all get along? It used to be when I was growing up, the big division in our world was political. 
I remember each night going to bed after watching the evening news. Um, and by the way, that was before CNN, when there was all-day news. We just had the evening news with Walter, right? Remember Anybody remember that guy, Walter Cronkite? Dan Rather, those guys were giving us the news back then. And I remember going to bed at night worried that the Russians are going to bomb us in the middle of the night. There'd be a nuclear blast. And back when I was a kid, the big division in our society was political, political ideology, communism versus capitalism. And today that's not at all the case, it appears. The, the, the differences, the big differences in the world are religious Christians, Muslims, Hindus. And so we see trouble and strife and fighting in the world. And let me just start out by saying that I think that people who see religion as a big problem in this world, I agree with you. I agree that these exclusive claims of all religions are troubling, they are difficult. And they do lead to all sorts of arguing, fussing, and fighting in the world. And sadly, even to the point of death in this world. But I'm going to try to make the case, based off of Jesus' own words, that there is exclusive claims made in Christianity. And I'm also going to try to make the case that it's not a question of exclusivity because everyone is exclusive in their beliefs, whether they know that or not. Everyone is exclusive in their beliefs. And so I'm going to hopefully argue for that. And if you stick around for adult Sunday school, Tim Keller will even be better at arguing for that than me on the DVD we'll watch. First, I want to show you a little picture, though, that oftentimes uh, is invoked. It's a story about three blind men, or in this case, it's several blind men who who run upon an elephant. And perhaps you've heard this analogy. It's kind of an ancient Indian proverb. And uh, the question is, how can one religion, how can one group of people claim to know the truth? In fact, all religions kind of have pieces of the truth. And so not one religion can know the truth. And so in this, this picture, you see the guy who's blind and he's pointing at a tusk and he's encountered the tusk. He maybe ran into it because he's blind, right? And he's like, oh, it's like a spear. <laughs> or the, the guy who's got the trunk. No, it's like a snake. This creature is like a snake. Or the other guy that's got the tail. No, it's like a rope. Or the guy on the ladder. I don't know how a blind guy is up on a ladder. That seems like a bad idea. Uh, it's a wall. Or... The guy with the leg, it's a tree, or the guy on top of it, it's a fan. And many people argue that, you know, religions are all about trying to get to God, and they're all just got a piece of the puzzle. And in the end, they're, uh, none of them know for sure. It's kind of like this story. Well, Malcolm Muggeridge, who's a missiologist from England, he thought about this for many Years He was troubled by this analogy, and he came up with a great answer to this analogy. You see, the only way you could know to make the objection that all religions just have a piece of the truth is to have a perspective that sees all the truth. The only way you know that the blind men are touching a part of the elephant and not the entire elephant is that you know that there's an entire elephant there. So... To make the claim that all religions 
only know an aspect of the truth means that you know more than the religion that claims to know an aspect of the truth knows. Does that make any sense to anybody? It's basically arguing for a different perspective. It's basically arguing for a perspective that is not one that's touching a part of the elephant. It's a perspective that says, I'm stepped away far enough from this that I can see the entire picture. And gang, you guys can't see the entire picture. And the entire picture is, none of you know what the entire picture is. And so you should all convert to my view, because I know the entire picture. And it's really an exclusive view to argue that all religions just have a piece of the truth. And it's an exclusive view that our society is wanting us to adopt and to believe and to understand as the truth. Well, with that in mind, I want us to think about a phrase, a quote that Jesus gave us. And this is one of his most troubling quotes for many people. And I usually quote this when I do a funeral. (laughs) It's in the context of a story. And we'll look at the story in a moment, but I want to look at the quote. This is from John 14, verse 6. Jesus says these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, in the Greek, no one means nobody, comes to the Father except through me. Now, Let me suggest to you that if you think Jesus is a good moral teacher and just kind of a nice guy and had lots of interesting things to say, uh, my guess is that most people who say that in our modern culture just haven't spent a whole lot of time studying what Jesus actually said. Because Jesus regularly said things about God's wrath and God's destruction of people who rejected God's truth. And Jesus said things that were very exclusive, including this phrase here. And so really, what Jesus is telling us is this. If you'd show the next one. Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's what Jesus is claiming in that statement. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now, I'm going to borrow some ideas from uh, John Ortberg because he's way smarter than I am. And one thing that he did with this passage is he... He started at the back of this passage, the end of the passage, uh, the end of this phrase, and worked his way forward. And I thought that was brilliant. And it's very helpful because when we think of heaven, and we're going to deal with heaven first, when we think of heaven, we usually think of this eternal, unlimited pleasure factory. Uh, Right? No? Is anybody awake still? Okay. We think of this pleasure factory. We, we, we think of this place where we can go and everything's blissful and everything's wonderful and we can do what we want to do. And we think of this place that is all of our dreams come true. All that we want to do come true. And it's kind of a very cartoon-esque view of heaven. It's shaped by movies. It's shaped by popular culture. It's not often shaped by scriptures. And so oftentimes in this worldview, we think, well, everybody who wants to go to the eternal pleasure factory in the sky, the way you get there is by being a good person. 
The way you get there is by being good enough. And so if you're good enough, you get to go to the eternal pleasure factory. And those who say that the only way to get to the eternal pleasure factory is through Jesus, well, God just is once again not wanting any of us to be have fun. He's in the way once again. Let me suggest to you that this is a horrible understanding of heaven. In fact, Jesus gives us uh, his take on what heaven is and how to understand it more properly. Jesus says this in John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life. Listen to how he defines eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That they know you, the only true God. Jesus himself is saying that eternal life, life in heaven, is life with God forever. That life in heaven is perfect union with God. It's not some pleasure factory in the sky. It's not Las Vegas forever or Branson, Missouri, if that's more your speed, forever. It's life with God forever. Uh, So one of the consequences of this is this. In heaven, it will be very hard to avoid God. Make sense? In heaven, it will be very hard to avoid God. Now, I got a question for you. Have you ever committed sexual sins? You don't have to raise your... Oh, come on. Let's raise our hands. Have you ever committed a sexual sin? Now, the answer to that question is yes. Every person here has committed a sexual sin. In fact, Jesus makes it really clear where he says, anyone who looks lustfully at another person is guilty of adultery. I'm pretty sure the whole advertising thing that they're doing nowadays is based on lust for the most part. I mean, just watch a football game. We've all sinned. I've sinned sexually. We have all sinned sexually. Now, my guess is when you did that, it wasn't with your mother present. It is Mother's Day after all. This is making some of you insanely uncomfortable because you're next to your mother. But you did not do that when your mother was present. And the reason you didn't do it when your mother was present was because that would be really awkward and it would take all the fun out of it. So you did it when mom was not around. Well, picture heaven where you can never get away from God. Heaven is a place where you can't just go off to some corner somewhere and have a quick little indulgence of sin. So if you want to gossip, can't be done. If you want to lie about somebody, can't be done. If you want to be sarcastic, that's kind of my problem. You can't do that. If you, if, if, if you want to be jealous about something, it can't be done. If you want to envy something, can't be done. If you want to hurt someone, can't be done. You can't escape God in heaven. And so none of these things that we call sin can be done in heaven because you are always in God's presence in heaven. And you're always aware that you're in God's presence in heaven. One of the things that happens on planet earth is we're always in God's presence, but we're not always aware that we're in God's presence and therefore we sin. 
Let me suggest to you that heaven is a place that sinners don't want to go to. It's not a place that sinners want to be because sinners, by definition, don't want to hang out with God. It's not this divine pleasure factory. It's not Vegas forever. It's not Branson, Missouri forever. It's life with God forever. 24 7, 365 billion days, however long eternity is, forever. And let me suggest to you that very few of us, uh, no, let me rephrase that. None of us want to go there by default. None of us want to be there. Because if we wanted to be there, the world would look very different than it is. Jesus himself said, the kingdom of heaven is near you. That means that the kingdom of heaven is breaking into this world all the time. And you and I are fighting against it all the time. By what we say, by what we do, by how we handle people, by how we act. We regularly sin against God in this world. The heaven now life is available to us. But we reject it. And if you don't believe me, I'll talk to your wife or your husband afterwards. Or your kids. Now, Jesus is saying that he is the only way to heaven. And I've tried to demonstrate that heaven is a place that most of us, if we're really honest, don't want to be. Because heaven is a place where only people who are pure in heart can be, according to Jesus. Heaven is a place where there is no sin, no no unrighteousness, no sinners. Only the pure in heart are in heaven. Now, all of us want to go to heaven, would be my guess. And when we have a view that heaven is like Las Vegas or Branson, Missouri forever, it's a pleasure factory, then we often have a view of heaven of what's the bare minimum I need to do to get there. The funny thing is, I have looked at Jesus' teachings and he never bothered to tell us what the bare minimum is. Wouldn't that have been very helpful for Jesus to tell us or God or some religion to tell us? If you do this, this is the bare minimum. You know, you can smoke, you can drink, you can do whatever you want, but you got to get this thing right and you're in for sure. Oh, okay, cool. Wouldn't that have been very helpful for God, for Jesus, for some religious system to tell us what is the bare minimum? It reminded me of when I go to Elitch's or to Disneyland. We went to Disneyland a couple years ago and we were really worried that Dave might be too short for some of the rides at Disneyland. So we went online to find out what the minimum height requirement was. Do we need to postpone this trip another year? Because we're going to have an irate, angry child on our hands because he can't go on the rides because he's not at the minimum height. And many people have a view of heaven that if I just reach the minimum height, I'm in. And their view is it's a pleasure factory. All I got to do is be the minimum. The trouble is it's not a pleasure factory. It's life with God. All the time. Can't get away from him. Can't indulge in any sin whatsoever. And if that's the case, that heaven is that kind of place, then it's only built for a certain kind of inhabitants. 
It's only built for kinds of people who are different than they are here. Now we come to the next word. I said I was going to work backwards. We've looked at heaven and it's not a pleasure factory. It's life with God forever. And the next word that Jesus used is only. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And this word troubles us the most, probably. And again, uh, people go, well, that is so exclusive. That is so arrogant of Jesus to say. that He's the only way to God. How dare he? Well, let me suggest to you something that we have messed up in our culture. And that is that we have taken truth statements and equated them with arrogance. Nobody would say, you know, your kid's real arrogant because he said two plus two is four. Ah, man, I mean, who does he think he is being able to add two plus two is four? I mean, who does, what nerve of that child to believe absolute truth that two plus two is four? It's not arrogant that a kid would believe two plus two is four. It's true that a kid would believe two plus two is four. And if his brother thinks two plus two is seven... It's not arrogant of the kid who knows 2 plus 2 is 4 to correct the child who thinks 2 plus 2 is 7. It's actually kind of thoughtful of that kid. It's not arrogant. How arrogant you are. Let that kid believe whatever he wants to believe. That 2 plus 2 is 7. You see, with math, it's easy to see the errors in our thinking. But with religion, it gets all fuzzy and la-la-la-la-la and floaty and angels and weird stuff happens in our thinking. But here's the deal. And you can, you can disagree with me. You can reject this. You have absolute and total freedom. God gave it to you. But he also revealed to us through his word and through the person of Jesus that the only way to heaven is through Jesus. And you think, well, that's unfair. How unfair is that of God to say the only way is through Jesus? You know, my guess is none of us woke up this morning thinking how unfair it is that I have money in my pocket and money in the bank and more than half the world's population live their day on two bucks. Anybody had that thought when they woke up this morning? How unfair is that? And maybe for a moment we kind of get a little uncomfortable. All right, I'll chuck in a few dollars. We'll help those people out a little bit. But I'm not going to... I like it when it works in my favor. I don't know about you, but I like it when, when unfair works in my favor. You know, Sam pitched baseball last year. And pitching oftentimes relies upon umpires, right? And umpires can be frustrating people. And in a small town, you can't yell at them and call them a bum because they're your neighbor and stuff. But sometimes the umpires get it wrong, right? And how do I know it was wrong? Sometimes it's unfair. Because that was a strike. Well, which dad thinks it was a ball? The dad whose kid was batting. So I'm all up in arms. That was a strike. The other guy's like, good job, we'll get eye there. And I'm like, that was right down the center of the plate. Are you kidding me? Are you blind, you bum? Can't say that. I'm thinking all of that. 
You see, we're okay with things being unfair when they work in our favor. And there is no such thing as fair in this life. Fair ended in the Garden of Eden. My kids can quote you that because I regularly use that against them. The weird thing is I have yet to have one of my kids say, Dad, it's unfair. I got more candy than the others. Dad, how unfair. I got more ice cream than Bailey. Dad, this is so unfair. No. It's reversed, right? Dad, it's unfair. I don't have as much as they do. That's when we hear about the cries out of unfair. And so if you're saying that Jesus saying that he's the only way to heaven is unfair... Let me suggest to you that Jesus being the only way to heaven is actually the most fair way to do this thing. Well, why would I say that? Well, if getting into heaven is based on how good you are, whose list are we going to use? You see, all of us think we're going to heaven. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven. I was recently reading about Stalin. And Stalin many times couldn't sleep at night. And so you know what he would do at night when he couldn't sleep? He would read a list of the people he was executing in the morning. It was Ambien back in his day, I guess. That would help him get sleepy. And Stalin murdered tens of millions of people. And most of us would say, there's got to be a cutoff line as to who gets into heaven and who doesn't. And I think most of us would argue that Stalin is south of the line. But you know who wouldn't argue he's south of the line? Stalin. Whose list are we using for who's good enough? Just this past week, 61% of Americans believe Osama bin Laden is rotting in hell. I was surprised it was that low. <laughs> and then the article quickly pointed out lots of people don't believe in hell. Lots of people don't believe in an afterlife. I'm like, oh, okay. 61% of Americans believe Osama bin Laden is in hell. So he falls under the mark, but who's mark? Who's line? Who's standard? What if the standard is Mother Teresa? Are you in? Am I in? What if the standard's Billy Graham? Are you in? Am I in? What if the standard's Hugh Hefner? Are you in? Am I in? I mean, what, 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 whose list are we using? Who is the cutoff point? And the problem is we all like to compare ourselves to other people when it comes to this heaven thing. We think good people go to heaven, bad people don't. How bad do you got to be? How good do you got to be? And it, wouldn't it be helpful if God from heaven or wherever he's at right now, wouldn't it be helpful if he told us, be this good, don't be this bad. Some of you think that's how the Bible works. That's not at all how it works. So we think that heaven is this place where it's got to have a cutoff line. And Jesus is saying, yes, there is a cutoff line. And the cutoff line is this, people who believe in me have Life with God forever. People who don't believe in me don't have life with God forever. Now, obviously, that's problematic in some ways because there are people who've never heard of him. But let me suggest to you, as 
Abraham said in Genesis 18 that the God, that the Lord will do what is right. And let me suggest to you, as Peter says in 2 Peter, that God does not wish for any to perish. And let me suggest to you that him saying that Jesus is the only way is the most fair way because now you know. I already used Sammy once. I'm going to use him again in an illustration. When we lived in Denver, Samuel got in a lot of trouble one time because we were painting something. And moments before, on our brand new carpet, we had told him to not touch the paint, the can of paint. (laughs) And I'll never forget the day when Sam knocked over the can of paint and then he walks around on the the brand new carpet. And he's like, mom, dad, I, I'm not, I, I got paint. And he didn't know what to do with himself. And how unfair is that? And my kid ruins my carpet. And I wanted to, what do you do parents? Oh, well, you're going to have to pay for that. <laughs> I'm like three dad. I, I don't have any cash flow. I don't care, son. You're indebted to me forever. That becomes problematic because by the time they're 18, I want them out the house, right? (laughs) The only way to take care of the paint on the carpet problem was for me to pay for it. It's the only way. The only way for me to make that situation right was for me to pay for it, for me to bear the frustration of the mess he had made. The only way for God to to make the mess that we've made of his world right is for him to bear the cost of making it right. And that's exactly what he did in the person of Jesus Christ. He said, Steve, I told you not to touch the paint. You messed over the paint. You messed up the carpet. You've messed up people's lives. You've messed up your own life. There's no, you ran up and then you cleaned your room. Great job, Steve. That was really helpful. You see, that's what our good deeds look like. I'm sorry, I'll go clean my room. God's like, yeah, but there's still paint on the floor. There's still initials carved in the hood of the car. There's still the mess. And the only way for God to fix that mess is through the person of Jesus. And this is where Christianity is different than all other religions because we're the only religion that says God himself has come to fix the problem. All other religions say, well, if you try hard enough and you die in jihad and you pray this way, facing this way three times a day, and if you do this, then maybe you'll get in. And the Christian religion is the only one that says God has fixed the problem for you. All you have to do is trust in Christ. That gets us to Jesus. Jesus is the only way. To heaven. You see, if heaven is a place that I'm going to spend my entire life with God, and frankly, on this earth, there's days I don't want to. How do I know that? Because when we do this table, the Holy Spirit reminds me of things that I did that weren't godlike, weren't really nice, were sin. And my guess is He does that to you too. And it reminds me that, you know what? I can't get the God be gone spray out in heaven. 
like I can here. And if heaven is a place that only a particular kind of person can dwell in and is suited to dwell in, then what we truly need is not to know the minimum standard so we can get there. We need somebody who changes us. We need somebody who makes us different. We need somebody who does heart surgery on us and makes us someone who is pure in heart. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We need somebody who changes us, transforms us, makes us into the people who can dwell into heaven. I heard a quote and it said, God lets those into heaven who could stand it. God only lets those into heaven who could stand it. You see, if heaven's a pleasure factory, if it's Las Vegas, if it's Branson, Missouri for all eternity, then everybody can stand that except my daughter. She hates Vegas, but she'd probably like Branson. But if it is life with God where we can never escape his presence, we've got to be different people. And that's what Jesus came to do and to accomplish in our lives, to make us different people. Well, I don't know if this has helped anybody with this objection to the exclusivity of Christianity. But I want to make it crystal clear that those who say, well, how could you on earth say that Jesus is the only way? I mean, there's all these other ways. That is an exclusive view in and of itself. Every view is exclusive. Someone who says, you've got to just let everybody in. Why? That's an exclusive view that everybody is in. Based on what? The question isn't if you're going to have an exclusive view. The question is, what is your exclusive view? Is your exclusive view the way to heaven is whatever way you want? And therefore, Steve... Quit being so narrow-minded. Therefore, Jesus quit being so narrow-minded. Really? On what basis do you make your exclusive claim? The only way to heaven is if you do the seven pillars of Islam. Actually, it's more like 10 or 11, isn't it? It's a lot. And then, in jihadist theory, the only way to heaven is if you die in jihad. Holy war. See, one of the things that Christianity has going for it that none of the other religions do is that Christianity sees that heaven is going to one day crash into earth. God is in the process of making all things right. If you've ever read The Lord of the Rings, there's this great interaction between Gandalf and Frodo. It's after Frodo has destroyed the ring and he almost died and they get him back to Rivendell and there he sees Gandalf alive. He didn't know Gandalf was alive. And, and Frodo says, are all sad things going to be undone? You see, that is very good theology when it comes to heaven. Because heaven is a place where we learn in Revelation 21 that all sad things are going to be undone. And that heaven is going to crash into this earth. And that means that this earth and your physical life matters. 
Did you know all other religions say the problem with this world is that we are physical beings? And so if we can escape to a higher state of consciousness, or if we can just leave this physical body in some way, if we can just go away from this physical dwelling to a spiritual dwelling, then all things will be made right. And that's not at all what the Scriptures teach. Why did Jesus have to raise from the dead in a physical body that Thomas touched and a physical body that ate and a physical body that could be held? It's because the Christian gospel teaches that this physical world matters. It's the only one that teaches that. And that God is in the process of redeeming, renewing, transforming this world. And the problem is, most of us don't want to live in that kind of world. One last thing just came to me. It's God speaking to me, right? <laughs> Whatever. Um, 19, I believe it was 1999, a fantastic movie opened on Easter weekend. It's called The Matrix. I don't know if you've seen it. But you learn in the process of the Matrix trilogy that they have tried all these different ways of using humans as basically Duracell batteries <laughs> to feed machines. It's really complex, hard to describe. But the first attempt at keeping humans captive failed because they made a utopia and people kept trying to wake up from it because it didn't feel real. And so the matrix system that finally kept the vast majority of people asleep and functioning as batteries was the world we find ourselves in now. The world full of Nightmares and pain and sorrow and death. I think it's a beautiful illustration of the truth of this claim of Jesus that most of us would try to wake up if we found ourselves in utopia. We wouldn't be able to stand it. It would be too good to be true. Most of us don't want that kind of heaven. Well, Jesus is the only way to heaven. The scriptures are clear on this. Time and time and time and time again. And if you hear anything different, and you will, don't believe it. Because it's not true. I stake my life on that. I stake my eternal life on that. So I ask you, what are you staking your eternal life on? Give that some thought. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these are difficult words from Jesus. And we do pray that uh, you would help us to stand for truth, not in an arrogant way, but in a way that seeks to serve others and to help them see the amazing grace, the amazing mercy, the amazing love that God has given us. Thank you for you not treating any of us fairly. 
Thank you that you spare us what we truly deserve. And you give us so much more than what we do not deserve. Thank you that you go beyond fair in our lives. Lord, I do pray that um, perhaps these words are speaking to some here and these are difficult words and I pray that you would just touch their heart now. That they would see the truth of these claims and if they struggle with that, let them investigate it more. Let them think about it more. Let them learn more and inquire more. You're big enough to handle our doubts and our fears. And those of us who do believe this, help us to make this message known clearly in our lives. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May the Lord smile upon you. May you be in the process of being made suited for heaven. Which can only be realized through the person of Christ. Amen.